Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Time to get your Sharpton on. The Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 110, Take It Personal, is brought to you by Luke's Barnstorming Tour. Coming back to Georgia, never. Pete, as always, continued thanks to people who are listening to us, not only here on the Luke Cage podcast feed, but also on the Pop Culture podcast feed, where it's collating uh, our podcasts on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We had the uh, Iron Fist up recently. Pete, something tells me with uh, some of the things in the news lately, no, I'm not going politics, but rather uh, we'll, we'll have to dust off the Star Trek Discovery feed and uh, and address some of the goings-on in that show's pre-production. It's an exciting time to be fantastic geeking with you, the listeners. Absolutely. The Lowdown, where we review what's going on in the episode. Matt, do you have defib paddles? Always. Always at the ready. You got to keep them ready because you never know when you're going to have somebody in an acid bath with a uh, uncertain temperature and need to throw in an improvised electronic to uh, stabilize your patient. Well, Pete, I know that those times can only occur when I have in my life story, no teaser act heading straight into things. And Pete, I think you're also talking about uh, the EKG of Luke flatlining and uh, the solution there is to throw in something or other electrical into the acid bath, which works because beginning of story. Yes, uh, but it's the shrapnel that's still residing inside of him that's being pushed further and further in with his uh, healing factor and his cell regeneration. So they need to get that stuff out. Now, you might be saying that there's some recklessness going on here, but I quote Dr. Burstein, pardon me, I quote Claire, sometimes you got to go past the science and do what you know. Or story. <laughs> there's that as well. Dr. Burstein ponders that they need to do something to, to break down Luke's, Luke's skin. It's like abalone shell. What breaks down shells? Saline. To which I, I said... Uh, okay, I thought shells were okay in the salt water, but I'll go with that because he's a doctor, Pete. So they throw it in. There are bubbles. Uh, he pulls her back. Uh, there's screams. I got to know, like, there's no way Mike Coulter was in this bath submerged the whole time. You know, th this is a this is a Luke prop with a mask on. Or, or a photo double. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't even, it's, it's not sharp enough to, to be that there are, there are close up shots where it's very clearly a person, uh, but the obscured shots, it is not fair enough. Regardless though, Pete, with the salt in the water, with the temperature raised up, Claire is now able to start to operate and Pete, thank goodness we live in a world of modern medicine where the technology can tell us vital signs critical and can show we, the audience, shrapnel on the sonogram with all the interesting parts highlighted in rainbow colors. I was able to follow <laughs> along, no problem. Ultrasound uh, in color is a relatively recent um, situation, but it does exist. 
and and again the the story uh you were confused in one detail i was confused in another detail in this scene matt maybe our listeners shared some of that i i want to stress i always watch these episodes with complete focus um particularly the netflix stuff if if there's occasionally stuff i miss on agents of shield because i'm tweeting because i'm finishing the thought in my notes you know whatever that's part of the 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 joy and the excitement of, of watching a show live matt we take notes we both take notes <laughs> on these episodes are there things that one catches and the other doesn't it absolutely happens um but yeah i mean we both take notes on this so it's not an issue of not paying attention we are like pete we are like dr burstein and claire as we work over Luke Cage here, what I have in my notes is this. Claire pulls out three pieces of shrapnel from his shoulder. Luke wakes up and she says he'll be fine. Wait, what about his gut? Says I. Now I express this to you off air, Pete, and you said what? That she actually is only seen taking out of uh, his gut the shrapnel there never the shoulder and the next time he's seen she's tending to the shoulder uh very clearly she uses the ultrasound with the forceps on the uh wounds to his abdomen never goes up we never see her go after the uh bullet that was suffered later to his left shoulder so at the at the very least, between the two of us, some slight lack of uh, clarity as to what's going on. But at least Pete and and I don't mean this with with sass. At least we do have the exposition. You know, he will be just fine. You know, at, there there are reasons those things get written in, so things are clearly and concisely communicated to the audience. So good news is he's okay. Pete, are are we good to go in that scene? Well, between all the all the hissing that goes on, I, the, the the releasing of steam everywhere, and uh, I kept waiting for the the uh, misdirect of oh his skin's gonna push me out as as I'm in there that it's gonna heal so quickly. Um, it it's a graphic scene if not for the fact that the the close-ups of the wound are are so gaping that you can't possibly take it seriously. <laughs> well, at least it all ends okay. The story gives us a quick check-in with Misty, who's looking at a picture of Diamondback. Who are you? She wonders. Then we cut to Mariah waiting outside, and Pete, who meets her but the very same Diamondback, story stitched together. Pete, where's Alex? She had to drive herself. You sound so authentically New York. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, so why didn't she come to him? Wonderful line. Maybe my my favorite line of the series thus far. Power doesn't travel. That is so true. Uh, however, she is welcomed on in. She's told this is where the alien metal bullets come from. And even though it didn't kill Luke, it's made God bleed. Is that my second favorite line, Pete? <laughs> It's just fantastic, and and Diamondback is ready to break the bullet operation down to create smaller bullets, put a machine gun clip's worth into people's hands. Yeah, not quite as uh, eloquently as you have uh, stated there, Matt, but he's got that medicinal-grade heavy-duty RX stacked up in there. 
Um, and this operation that's going on inside a door labeled 22, um, though expensive, is more profitable given her connections and what she can do with the police, with the city government, and anybody else who stands to defend themselves from these super people. Diamondback also notes that a gun to kill a bulletproof black man is a gun whose time has come. And uh, with that, a glove is brought to him, presumably of the alien metal. Uh, it's not isotoner? It is It is not. It is not. Um, we can discuss later on whether it has alien metal or it's just, you know, a, a kind of Iron Man-esque glove. But uh, nonetheless, Diamondback says it's time to widen the circle. Back in Georgia, Matt, Claire is working on Luke's shoulder. Yeah, he's healing quickly. Claire has never seen anything like it. Not Wolverine. The the notion that Luke won't <laughs> age. He he maybe he won't age just like Wolverine. Pete had me wondering if you were to combine Luke's power with maybe like a metal skeleton. Now that would be something. Um, like Wolverine. If I knew what a Wolverine was, you're referring to the animal. Sorry, Fox lawyers. (laughs) Pete, maybe I'm referring to the the wife of Coulson actor, Clark Gregg, that, of course, her name, Jennifer Grey, and her movie about the Wolverines entitled Red Dawn. Go Wolverines. There there you go. Uh, I love that uh, Luke gets up off the gurney here and pretends that he has amnesia which for a split second, I think we all buy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Before the, the, the charmingly uh, phosphorescent smile of Mike Coulter and Luke comes through here. Just kidding. J- JK, Claire, JK. Back in New York, Pete. Ah, New York in the fall. The children are this playing isn't in the, the park. fall, man. Remember, we had dash cam footage with a date this is uh has to be after december 1st was the date on the uh dash cam uh, footage. pete as i was saying well wait it doesn't become winter until like uh end of december right the true, equinox and true. such so there's, there's definitely a small passage of time so i stand corrected pete there how about this pete it's new york city with with crispness in the air children play in the park folks are on the bench just enjoying the last days of warmth Friendly Officer Albini is just walking down the street, uh, uh, perhaps a decade away from whistling a tune while he he would spin a baton. He says hello to Anne. He swings by the friendly street vendor selling socks. It's just Friendly Officer Albini, who then gets sucker punched by Diamondback, claiming to be Luke Cage. With the backpack is something that's pointed out later. I can only imagine some kind of power source for the glove, given that there are cables coming off of it. And oh, you said cable, Pete. Is cable <laughs> is cable returning? Again, sorry, Fox lawyers. Um, you know the 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 montage. It's not a montage. The cut through the scene where Misty is then standing over the body that is just wound up on the boxes in the street. And not quite clear immediately, given the way that it's cut. So then we have uh, pictures of uh, Albini, blood clearly coming out of his mouth, um, but on a gurney, not covered. 
And it's like, is he dead? Is he not? And then we hear, you know, big hole punched, but it was in but the But through vest. the Kevlar, yeah, yeah. So is he dead? Is he not? It was, it was quite unclear for some time whether the dude was dead or not. I completely agree. I mean, my notes, Albini is sent flying and presumably lives. Uh, the vendor says the man said Luke or Duke, which we can get, you know, circle back to in a second. Anyway, the cop has lived, though his Kevlar vest is done for. I mean, I think that they were they were floating. It's one of two things. Either they were unintentionally unclear or they were trying to hold out the tension of it without it turning into Albini, our dear Albini. Where will he live? Because it is the reveal of his death and and the cop in a little bit who is representative of of the anger of the police community here that is going to propel the rest of the episode so i'm going to assume that this is intentionally muddy so that they can come together at that moment you say oh he's dead Uh uh-oh cops are upset they're upset at the citizenry of harlem this is going to go down quickly yeah i definitely think there's a little bit of that going on uh that and the characterization of witness characters like this guy and nanny (laughs) yeah i i mean look clearly this is clearly this incident occurs not just for the the internal uh you know the internal arc of luke cage season one but they want to get into the cop issue and and all of that which we will discuss in due course um so I think some of it is just in service of let's get to have this discussion amidst our, our comic book show. Um, and Pete, we see that hammered home at Harlem's paradise. Diamondback has killed a cop and Mariah is irate uh, that it was done in her town. As she well should be. I mean, this is a situation where previously Cottonmouth had uh, taken a shot at a cop and later, uh, scarf dies and it was what are we going to do now there's a second one and while luke cage has been scapegoated for uh what's going on with the cops and everything like that mariah still believes in her core that that she's doing this for the community and the result matt now kids are getting jacked up by the police I agree, Pete, that she believes she's doing this for the greater good. But there's a cognitive dissonance here. Uh, The notion that she is annoyed that Diamondback quotes the Bible yet doesn't act godly. This same Mariah who, uh, Pete, which commandment is it about about the murder? (laughs) It's one of the ten, Matt. It is one of them, right? So, like... Uh, and I mean, let's be clear. This was not. This was not. You know, the the taking of life uh, in service of one's country or taking of life in protection of of oneself. I mean, that was outright murder that occurred. So, I'm not saying phony baloney writing. I'm just saying this is somebody who is so delusional. If you can imagine it, Pete, this politician is so delusional so as to think that the negative things going on are actually a positive contribution or will lead to a, con- a positive conclusion um and another line in this scene that's fantastic from diamondback mariah fails to recognize that she stands in the presence of death yeah that was uh one that was thrown at us during uh new york comic-con uh 
Um, but the the escalation here that he's saying that he's turned up the heat. Uh, everything with Carl, he's either going to stand up and and defend his name, or uh, he's he's going to go to ground here. Uh, not quite like a man. <laughs> is the best I can say on a non-explicit podcast. Uh, he also outs Mariah, at least in the course of their discussion, outs her as uh, not a real, authentic politician. Otherwise, she would be flipping this. He instructs her to get her sharpened on and start to spin gold here. Yeah, and the referencing here of uh, Reverend Al Sharpton, Matt, there is both some some local and some national perspective and and I have a little bit of a different perspective having studied under two Pulitzer Prize winners at Columbia University who uh, were part of the New York Times team that took down Sharpton's uh, Tawana Brawley defense in the late 1980s. Uh, Just so it's clear for our listeners, the, the short version, Tawana Brawley was a black woman uh, who came forward with a story after she had disappeared for several days that she had been abducted by uh, several white men. She had been thrown in a garbage can, a, a garbage bag, I should say, a black garbage bag, that she had been sexually and physically assaulted, that they threw feces in there, and then they dumped her. And uh, she, she turned back up with this story, Um, there were immediately holes in it. However, Reverend Al Sharpton came to her defense, uh, championed her everything and, uh, through his, uh, admission, never, never knew anything about the backstory. She had done this to cover up. She was concerned, uh, her, her father was going to be mad if found out what she was really doing. So she created this fantastical story. Everything happened. So Reverend Al Sharpton in our parts of the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut uh, area, has been a lightning rod for some time. Nationally, uh, he has also garnered attention, particularly in light of some of the things that have happened over the past couple of years. Um, one of my professors, Craig Wolf, who is since at the Newark Star-Ledger, when he moved from Columbia University to New York University, he uh, briefly had a tradition. Sharpton would come one day a year and speak to his students, and it was the only day of the year Al Sharpton would talk about the Tawana Brawley case. Well, with all of that context in mind, I think it's, it's interesting that within the show here, uh, it's a bit of a pejorative Diamondback telling Mariah to 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 up her Sharpton here. I mean, it's <laughs> to it's, make it about her. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think it's. I don't think it's fully an insult, but I think it, it, there is a little bit of an edge here where it's like. I, I don't know. I, 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 as I said, it's not. It's not meant to be a compliment. Although, I think he views it as you know. There's there's potential here to advance our causes, so so let's use this as a tool. Um, regardless, though, he he's telling her to get out in front of those cameras. And uh, at the police station, we see that there are plans for the police to fumigate Harlem, turn over the pests to find Luke Cage. This some of the language from the police here, and intercut is just that: unmarked cars breaking up 
groups of young black men on the corner, police asking uh, citizens of every shade, where's Luke Cage? And uh, certainly just this increase in tension here, particularly as we head back to the station proper, where uh, where uh, one of the officers feels that Priscilla is dragging her feet on the Luke Cage situation. Just a quick note about this, uh, you know, cross-cutting and what's going on with the, the fumigation. You know, we have the inspector uh, who took the death of Officer Albini particularly hard, saying, you know, grew up in the South Bronx, not afraid of blacks and Hispanics. And then, you know, it's it's not a white black thing. Then you've got officers of color tuning up, uh, you know, the youth of Harlem. So, you know, th- this is it's a melting pot of sadness, Matt, and confusion all for the wrong reasons. But it mirrors our world uh, in a way that that makes it timely. There's there's every reason why. Um, TV Guide called Luke Cage the most important TV show of the year. Pete, this is a topic that I think the show visits in uh, in, in a climax of sorts uh, when we have Lonnie brought into the police station. So we'll just uh, we'll, we'll we'll return to this subject uh, when the show explores it at its fullest. Uh, for now, though, we see uh, on the street that police. Uh, police are are themselves not uh, dragging their feet looking for luke cage they're throwing men into uh chain link fences uh had to notice thought they were going to do something with this uh story-wise but they have not one of these arrests you can see someone is recording it you know on their phone on the other side you know, fr- from from the curb uh i'm not suggesting you know random person wandered onto the luke cage said i'm saying they stuck an extra there and said pretend you are recording this on your phone uh that's the world we live in right in 45 seconds of intercut footage, the pressure in Harlem has been effectively set up as a pressure cooker beat. How about, too, you know, beyond the fact that, uh, you know, Captain Ridley's pointing out that um, Cage is at the center of three active investigations, it felt a little too quick. Misty is so... Uh, you know, rapidly able to put together uh, what we already know that the guy in the hoodie is not Luke. And, you know, given that she's already looking for Diamondback, you know, put two and two together. Yeah. I mean, she has the virtue of being right. uh, That if there is a, uh, you know, if it's a story weak spot, there's that. Um, I just kind of read it as, she knew because she knows Luke quite well, if you don't remember the pilot, but just that she can she can intuit that this is outside his normal uh, his normal way of uh, of behaving. And um, yeah, so for me, it was not a particularly rough story point. But, you know, they've used angles. They've, uh, you know, not come with a full composite, but they're, they're, the science is at work here and it's it's sound. With that, uh, Lonnie is brought into the police station by an African-American police officer. The boy is a chess club member. Uh, that's TV code for what's about to happen is particularly unfair. Um, he knows he can't be kept there, though. I love that they gave this 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 
child, this student, uh, the wherewithal to to know his rights. I think that that's appropriate of the the age he is and the age he lives in. Um, and frankly, the, the circumstances where he probably has made it his business to know what police can and cannot do. Um, anyhow, Lonnie gets up and is knocked down by the police officer. Albini was his training officer, so this child has to talk. Yeah, uh, this is a just a heart-crushing scene, and it it mirrors reality so much in that there are African-American families who have to have the talk with their uh, young men about how to specifically behave should they be picked up by police and to be polite here. He, he very clearly knows his rights. Um, he very clearly spells it out for this officer that, uh, you know, nothing in my bag, but a half eaten Snickers. It's, it's tight, terse dialogue. He wants his phone call. He's entitled to this. Uh, he, he doesn't bang. He don't hang Matt. Okay. Um, and you know, Luke is a friend. He's somebody that he takes pride in knowing. And at the same time, you've got a African-American police officer who's under the pressure of, we got to make a collar. We got to find this guy. The, uh, extraordinary pressure of a, a superhuman, uh, you know, impervious to bullets. I I think there must have been an edit of this episode where they stayed with the officer and with Lonnie to the next police scene, uh, which is Misty, then the reveal that, that Lonnie has been beaten. Uh, I, I give them credit for for separating away this setup to to the reveal that he's been beaten and and continuing with some other story uh, business there. Uh, just because th- this, the fact that Lonnie has been beaten um, will become the center, the, the center of the episode so shortly. So um, we'll finally finish that thought when we get there. The story moves back to Georgia, though. Luke is all better again. Uh, his shoulder wound and gut wound a okay. Bur- uh, Burstein is thrilled that he's okay. It's like Christmas lights with the burnt out bulb <laughs> replaced. Pete. Netflix shows and Christmas lights. It's all it's all connected. <laughs> Sweet Christmas lights. <laughs> uh, Burstein, I think to his apparent credit, he sees in Luke the chance to stop battlefield injuries, to cure cancer, to cure AIDS. Um, and also coincidentally, because Hand of the Rider walks out telling them they can help themselves to whatever they need in the fridge, uh, because Claire and Luke need a moment to worry about the potential downside here. But Pete, in this moment... I buy Dr. Burstein's wide-eyed optimism that this could be the beginning of a new age of 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 health and medicine for humanity. This these series of scenes has to unfold this way to to get the reveals, to get it what goes on, but the the way in which they get to it all right, you're you're in an unusual space in a barn where he's uh, been been worked on. Here, you can tell it's day now because of the light coming through the planks. Uh, we're having the discussion about the the limits of science. Oh well, hey Matt, j- just just stay here. I'm gonna leave the sensitive 
uh, stuff I have here and the uh, the info with the two of you, and I'm going to go get something. And it's not even like a they, 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 it's not even like Luke says, "Oh boy, I would love a uh, 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 I'd love a, a, a soda." And he says, "Oh, you know, I don't have any here. Let me go get that." It's it just truly is this. All right, I'm going to step out for a second so you guys can have a private conversation. He might as well have said, I'm going to leave so you can find Reva's files. <laughs> um, yes, I'm, I'm okay with that analysis. I'll uh, be back. It, you you help yourselves to anything in the fridge is what he says. He might as well have said, hey, uh, you don't trust me. Uh, I'm leery of the two of you. Hey, Reva's files. <laughs> with Burstein gone, Claire and Luke click through Reva's files, including videos of Reva. Reva ratting on Luke's prison situation. At least that's how we're meant to take it. I suppose there's a professionalism argument, although I reject it. Um, she she claims that he's the best physical subject for these experiments and notes that all the other subjects approaching stage three have died, but Luke is a great candidate to, uh, to, to overcome that little thing of death in stage three. Couple things here. One, Tiara is the code name. Matt, Tiara, uh, the thing that he wore on his head, you know, the, the thing that uh, helped to give him part of his powers. Also, the uh, name, the production name for Luke Cage. Oh, it's a secret production code that uh, one local uh, lucky actor. We actually live not very far away from the young man who played uh, young Cottonmouth. There you go. It's a, it's a small world, Pete. Who auditioned for a show called Tierra, and only after getting it found out oh this is marvel and this is luke cage uh surprise kid now finally the story moves back to the police station uh where the the uh where priscilla says there's increasing pressure from social media and the chief over this not just luke cage situation but the community uh situation the the tech guy says he has info for misty uh, facial recognition got a match to Willis Stryker, who has a sealed juvie record. Maybe, maybe they can dig more, but Pete, then they are interrupted by by sounds of, of something going on. Officer Dorsey has beaten Lonnie, bloodying him, and it's revealed that he's, uh, this is all revealed as he's pulled off of him. And Pete, this is where we have the 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 sad and tragic payoff here that uh, that Lonnie, a child, has been beaten while in police custody. And knowing this young man from the earliest episodes of this show creates not just um, the empathy, but the stakes of everything going on. He's got the connection with Luke. He was somebody who hung out in Pops. And this is by proxy the effect that's happened on the community. He doesn't have a place where he can be, where where he would be safe. He's been called in here for questioning. An overzealous cop has uh, bloodied him. And now, Matt, it has hit the fan. I think the show is so nuanced here in making Officer Dorsey uh, a man of color. Uh, because I think it gets to the heart of the issue of of police brutality police excess use of power that 
it, it oftentimes looks like a race issue and, and oftentimes can be. I, I don't I don't want to pretend otherwise. But at the end of the day, it's an issue of 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 crossing that line that you're not supposed to cross. And and for the show to consciously make it not a black white issue, but a police and community issue. I like to think that that was done without pressure from people who want to make the product the best product possible because it's just a dumb TV show and let's make sure those Netflix subscriptions go up, up, up. Um, Instead, I see Chio Hidari Coker saying, let's call this issue what it is because every single time that there's that there's uh, an inequity of power from police to their community, it's not always white, it's not always black. Oftentimes, yes, and again, I'm not ignorant to that, but the show here, I think, is saying, at the end of the day, these are bad cops, black, white, you know, purple polka dot, whatever, and and that is what needs to be addressed, and that is what there must be no, uh, no, no quarter given to cops like this. Matt, the devil is down in Georgia, uh, here I refer to Dr. Burstein. I refer uh, to to the late Riva and the explanation here of what was going on with the therapy sessions to separate the trash from the triumphant. Indeed, uh, Burstein admitting that uh, Riva's therapy sessions were actually to screen people for the experiments. And uh, he says that she knew the stakes and was always grooming uh luke for the experiments even afterward he calls luke carl repeatedly luke says he's not carl he's luke cage and then he starts to tear the place apart pete yeah they had shown the uh the farming equipment very early on in this scene we'll we'll call it Chekhov's farming equipment because he uses it to demolish this barn here a, a particularly good shot at the end when he he throws the the big piece of equipment through, and the and the light comes in. It's almost Matt a metaphor. It is. Uh, Luke walks. Claire takes the thumb drive. We fade out on Burstein, wondering what he has done. Well, how about the overture he makes to Claire here? You're you're brilliant. You could you could help me. Um, you know, you're not even trained. Imagine the things I could teach you. Uh, I don't know, Matt. Is is we'll have to talk about that in our theory segment. Back we go to Misty, who's searching newspaper records on microfiche, kicking it old school to get more information on Willis Stryker, and uh, she seems ready to tell Priscilla what's going on. But Mariah is there with uh, Lonnie's mother Patricia in tow. Mom is upset, absolutely rightly. Mariah is turning the awful meeting into her own special brand of lemonade. And uh, Mariah lectures Priscilla. And, and mid-lecture, we jump cut with a flashbulb uh, sound and flashbulb flash as her lecture has moved into a press conference. Lonnie was beaten in custody like it's 1956. I want to say one thing about the previous scene where you have Patty, you have Mariah, you have Misty and you have um, Captain Ridley. Matt, <clears throat> thank you that there are scenes like this on TV. You have a scene with four strong black women. One is a bad guy. <laughs> but uh, this we need more of this on TV. I cannot recall 
the last time and you can throw Empire in there. You can throw a lot of shows that are currently on. I can't recall the last time I saw a scene like this on my television. So thank you, Chio Hadari Coker. Thank you, Netflix. Thank you, Marvel. Isn't it amazing what happens when you stop worrying about ratings and you start worrying about getting different perspectives in there? Story and character, man. Well, both are on display as Mariah's uh, press conference continues. She says, let's make sure police are protected against menaces like Luke Cage and then that they are able to protect our community, including our brothers and sisters, the hermanas y hermanos. Boom. She's got it covered. It's, got that it's, Spanish Harlem. There you go. Connected there, man. This is, you know, the, the soundtrack cranks. As we're doing this, there's there's the urgency, you know, with Lonnie uh, in Frederick Douglass Hospital. Let, let's not forget uh, name checked here because a, a man who was the first African-American nominee for vice president, a uh, an escaped slave who hung out in Europe while bounty hunters looked for him and later purchased his freedom. Okay, makes a speech in 1852 on the 4th of July, asked by the founding fathers in Rochester, New York, to make a make a speech. Hey, tell us how great 4th of July is and wags the finger at uh, northern whites that there are still four million slaves in the south. And all of this, Matt, all of this is connected. Abolition was was referenced earlier in the episode by um, by Diamondback that uh, that. Uh, upped the 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 Second Amendment ante. Uh, it's it's just tremendously positioned as a plot. And Mariah is positioning all this to the to the climax of there's going to be a meeting tonight at Harlem's Paradise to talk nonviolent action. Kind of you can almost see her her mind going. Let's make sure that's on camera. Nonviolent action. What the violence happen outside the Mariah world here. Um, and the story then moves to Priscilla's office where Misty is ready to connect the dots on Willis Stryker, uh, being at the center of all of this cage, Cottonmouth, and Mariah. And then, Pete, we get uh, back to Georgia a shot of Seagate from across the uh, sea. And uh, yes, Luke did swim that whole way. And he starts pondering being in love, holding someone close. And learning that you aren't on the same page as the other person. Ah, how that must frustrate the brain. So as Luke and Claire stare out at this sunny day at a special effect, Matt, with an SUV in the foreground, um, really Luke is is coming to the realization that he did not love Riva. The idea of Riva. Same way that later he uh, references the idea of another person luke says he's ready just to walk away from it all but is reminded by clara that they've come too far and they are in this together pete if not for having seen a couple of things at new york comic-con about episodes i have still yet to see if not for that i still might think that there might be a future between the two of them uh, one, I wonder what a what a certain uh, blindfolded lawyer in uh, Hell's Kitchen would have to say about that. Uh, and also, what happens, the way this scene is shot, it hadn't happened yet in this series, 
it's similar to another outdoor shot in um, Jessica Jones, a series of shots that took place on a roof. Poor Mike Coulter has a really prominent mole on the right back side of his head. And uh, when you see it at the right angle, it almost comes to a point. And, you know, I'm listening to this discussion and I'm like, there it is. There's that point on his his head again. It it, it kind of took me out of that. I just I, I want this guy to have this this poor mole taken off. Uh, Fantastic Geek will 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 uh, you know take up a collection and we can get uh, Mike Coulter to have this poor mole that has marred at least two scenes with its 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 prominence. Well, Pete. All I know about this scene is this. Luke also reiterates the central mystery of the episode. Willis hates me and and I need to find out why. And Claire reiterates that she is a trustworthy person. And then Pete, oh boy, he trusts her enough to hold her arm, to hold her hand. Suddenly they're quite close, but he's looking for the car key to put into the lock of the car. Not a metaphor. And back we go to Dr. Burstein's office. Repeat, it turns out he finds the not-so-ruined hard drive, which he revised with two clicks of the laptop, because that's how technology works these days. It's all there. Yeah, he's able to recreate this, so we're still not out of the woods as far as the secret files go. Back we go to not Matt Murdock's gym, where Domingo is visited by a lady, Detective Misty Knight, who knows who he is, Love how she casually flashes her her badge kept upon her her belt there. She quotes Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they're hit. Domingo, smiling, notes that sometimes the first punch is all one needs to hit back. Wow. Uh, She then shows him a picture of Diamondback, and Domingo has no idea who that nice man could be. He also has no idea why the heads of the Jamaican, Haitian, and Cuban crime families are all gone. Missing, not gone. We know they're gone. She notes missing. That's around when he says that he still knows nothing, but maybe check out Harlem's Paradise. Yeah. Um, Interesting that uh, he would be used as the the leverage here to, to get at uh, Diamondback, but we know there's no love lost, even though he was allowed to leave that meeting alive. Back to Luke and Claire. They are outside the Mount Cavalry Baptist Church, and they see a sign that Luke's grandfather had made. However, the church the, the church is boarded up. Uh, it's worse on the inside, dirty, abandoned, spray painted. Uh, a shell of its former self, but I, they do again one of these in-camera moves mm-hmm. where we see the squalor, and then it, then as the camera is you know panning, uh, we get the flashback to the church in its simple beauty uh, when it was newer. Yeah, we have uh, Luke's father, the preacher. We have his mother, and then we have. Uh, Willis's mother, who is uh, explained as uh, his secretary. Mrs. Lucas is leaving and Ms. Stryker saunters up the aisle with, we can assume, carnal ideas in her heart, in her bosom. Uh, Young Luke continues up the aisle as well, peering into a side room. 
It says Private James Lucas. Uh, but out comes Miss Stryker, Pete buttoning her sweater. I think that lust in her bosom was a little bit more, a little bit more literal than I than I thought. Yeah, and that you know, adult Luke is is walking down the aisle. That young Luke, um, complete in the you know the old school jacket, knocks over the the little stack of Bibles there, and uh, Miss Stryker comes out. And then how about the the um the door opening with the mirror on it and adult Luke um visible in the reflection with the three others now uh Reverend Lucas you know putting the old suspenders back on um not because he was uncomfortable uh you know all in there it's it's tremendously shot it it is and it all leads to Luke's moment of realization accepting why Dana Stryker was always protected by his father and uh luke reveals to claire that he was a miracle baby the product of a mother who couldn't conceive then suddenly could and it's explained that willis is indeed motivated by the fact that willis was not loved by his father and adding to the biblical twist of things luke admits that he is in fact his brother's keeper yeah and that that claire witnesses luke's realization of this she's she is us she is there to have this explained to her that uh willis striker is his brother uh you know that he's clutching a, a bible and then puts it down here the lack of acceptance before and and now this moment of clarity he needed to go on this sojourn here to Georgia for medical reasons, but uh, for spiritual and uh, insight uh, of, of himself, he's come back a better person. Back we go to Harlem's Paradise where the crowd is fired up and Mariah is playing them like a fiddle. She's flanked by pictures of the wounded Lonnie and calls Luke a liar, a menace, a killer. And she says that many are here because of police brutality, but but we cannot lose focus. A cop was killed too, killed by a super menace, Pete. Yeah, and she's got her Sharpton on, man. She is going through this. We've got the the two pictures of Lonnie, okay? And then uh, to see Diamondback looking down on all of this, Matt, it just felt a little too over the top. This is not the proprietor of the club in Cottonmouth who uh, lends it out to his sister for this, you know, important public rally. This is not Shades, who's kind of become the proxy proprietor. No, this is the wanted juvenile record having uh, gun dealer standing over all of this rather prominently. Uh, story foul. Perhaps I was blinded, Pete. I mean, that's all true, but I, I think I was blinded by Mariah continuing, saying that the cops were fueled by the right threat. They found a mistake with the young man. These powers are the new terrorists. The woman in Hell's Kitchen snapped a nice man. She doesn't call him a nice man, but I think that's the implication. Snapped a nice man's neck because of mind control, she says with incredulity, we need protection. Where did from where, where did that take place in, in this story, Matt? 
Pete, that, that that's that's that that's a little goody for those that are uh, those that are watching the bigger picture there. Kilgrave and Jessica Jones. Bottom line is this: the crowd eats it up, and Alfre Woodard here is wonderful. She's feeding off the energy of the crowd, quieting them, bottling their energy, uh, and, and it's just it's it's just this this high energy crowd of uh, of extras here. And with that, the Reverend Reverend John Pope is brought up. And uh, Mariah is hardly off the stage when she's reminding staff to get emails and get names. Yes. And then we have our friend, uh, her adversary politically, Damon Boone, to uh, look at what's going on here and how she's manipulating the situation. He he calls her on the, the politicization of this uh, situation uh, clearly, she wants to build her popularity. Then the council, uh, the council can't take as much action against her. He doesn't trust her, but she reminds him that one doesn't need trust when they have power. Boom, mic drop. But wait, Pete, back outside, who is that? Just in time, pulling on up back, back in, back in town. Listen, we we know for a fact they they shot in and around New York. They never went to Georgia. You don't need to go down to shoot in Georgia to have scenes occur in Georgia. Uh, you can shoot scenes in snow on the shore looking at a special effect that will be added uh, you know, in post-production of a fictional floating island prison meant to stand in for Marvel's Alcatraz. But man, do they get up and down the coast fast on this show. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, yes, they do. It's sometimes it's difficult to get fifty miles. the The fifty miles between where we are and New York City can be a two and a half hour trip. But, but I digress, Pete. Spoiler alert: It's Luke and Claire back in Harlem. They see a character I like to call Blu-ray vendor. He's kept his mouth shut, but tips off loop. Luke as to the mob mentality that's going on and uh, with that they duck inside Harlem's paradise they see Misty they see Diamond back while Reverend Pope fires up the crowd um, nobody sees them because show I suppose but Pete Reverend Pope is telling uh, everyone to follow him this evening to follow from their heart to the bottom of their hearts Yes, and Luke sees that Misty needs backup. She's going up there to try to corner Diamondback. She's got her hand on her weapon. She she sees Candace quickly, who then Candace. yeah she she scornfully watches go down the stairs. But up in that VIP, Matt, ain't no Diamondback. Pete, it turns out that the backup is Luke Cage himself. He's 20 feet behind her, and uh, her gun is out fully as she enters the office. Good thing, too. Stryker won't put his hands up. He starts shooting at Misty, and uh, the reliable news media, Pete, of which Pete was a part, they <laughs> captured all on camera, with Luke jumping out of the window, going behind the bar, Misty in tow. Pete, it's it, 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 this is just a, a, a declining situation. And thank goodness we have the cameraman to yell to everybody else, hey, it's Luke Cage. Um, Diamondback 
the the shot looks worse than it is. We see a, a a shot from the side of Misty get hit what seems like in the face for a second, and I'm like, wait a second, we're gonna lose this character? Is this, is this the price we have to pay? There's Diamondback popping off rounds. These are clearly not uh, the the special rounds. Not expect, expecting Luke to show up, although you would think he might have. Uh, and Luke um, cornered there, jumping with the uh, the cradled Misty down uh, onto the uh, Harlem's Paradise floor. People are running everywhere. Of course, the camera is catching all of this. Superhero landing and uh, Claire's hiding. Luke continues to take bullets now from uh, uh, high-powered uh, weapons and... Who knew, Matt, it would take 10 episodes for Luke and Misty to wind up back where they began uh, behind that bar? I got you. Pete, now we're going to talk about some bad... Shut your mouth. We're just talking about bad guys, Petey. Who are we starting with today? We are going to begin with that wily... Uh, I don't even know what he's got his his uh, his MD in there, but Doctor Noah Burstein, Matt, Pete, you seem to take a dimmer perspective on this character than I do. Now, I I admit he was up to to some shady business at Seagate, um, and it, I, I guess at the end of the day, I buy. His optimism. Would I be shocked if that gets turned around in the remaining episodes? Of course not. But um, he's he's okay in my book. Not great, but he's okay. Well, then then let's get bad here. Let's let's talk about uh, Mariah Dillard uh, on the outs with the city council. Her brother in the funeral parlor, uh, getting her sharpen on. Pete, regardless of, of of where you or I or the listenership uh, want things to end up this upcoming election day, the notion that you have this opportunistic politician who who claims to be doing good for the people, but is using these means that are so extraordinary and so uh, so so far from the good. Uh, it's it's particularly prescient. I mean, I know it was it was in the midst of the 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 primary portion of this political season where the show was being written and filmed, but it, I mean, it's the age old story of power corrupting, and Mariah is such a reliable baddie because she's somebody like us, somebody who wants the nice things in life, somebody who works towards the nice things in life, somebody who wants to help others out. But where she's different is that that this drive is corrupting her diamondback matt has clearly been in our crosshairs for a couple episodes now and uh not as active here he's letting mariah be the the public face and he's kind of looming again large uh but in an episode where uh theo rossi's shades does not appear um ups his game I mean, he just continues to be this this wonderful, slick embodiment of uh, of, of evil, of power, of of uh, 
a, a, a self-driven nature that is scary. Wonderful, wonderful character. And it, ha- to, it has me wondering, do other shows either in Marvel Netflix or Netflix in general or shows in general, do they start to ponder the idea that you can have a first half bad guy and a second half bad guy because he has added a different dimension? I, I wouldn't say better nor worse, but just he's brought a different thing to the table for this second half of episodes and it's it's to wonderful effect well the the title here take it personal and his very close connection with luke whereas cottonmouth was was removed never removed from the situation pete are our wonderful patrons on patreon.com slash fantastic geeks i want to take a moment to thank them and to encourage uh, those who have never been to go there check it out and uh, see how you can help keep the podcast afloat especially with those uh storage and bandwidth costs that the podcast nay the fantastic geek series a family of podcasts uh do accrue as time goes on patreon.com forward slash fantastic geek will unlock for you a whole possibility of perks not to mention some patreon only podcasts The big picture where we break down theories about the road ahead, Pete, where do we hit the road? Well, that uh, Dr. Burstein is able to reconstruct this unlocked hard drive. Um, very clearly, that's going to come back around. Matt, how do you think uh, with, with everything, you know, oh, we could cure cancer, we can cure HIV, or I can make super soldiers and sell them to Francis so that they can fight De- uh, Deadpool. You know, what, what, what's going to happen there? Well, now is at the point of the season, uh, particularly with my, my ever spoiler-free eyes, uh, where you start to take into consideration that, that, that there's only so much time left to the season. So obviously they're 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 leaving room for the future. Is is the future the next three episodes? I would kind of bet not. Um, is the future the Defenders miniseries? Is it season two of Luke Cage? One of those latter two is what I would be leaning towards. That said, with three episodes left, we have plenty of time for secret reveal. Somebody is now going to be an abomination and is going to fight Luke in the 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 downtown street area that in no way looks like Toronto or wherever they filmed uh, the Hulk movie. Pete, here's here's one theory I have, slightly spoilery, just because of some of that footage I saw at New York Comic Con. I'm starting to wonder if even though Luke Cage and Jessica Jones are are probably going to end up together in future seasons of 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 some iteration of the Marvel Defenders uh, universe. Is there maybe a spark between Luke and Claire? Can it be so? I mean, the the I say script. It it's already out there that uh, Jessica Jones from the comics has a child by Luke Cage. Uh, that does not mean it needs to go that way uh, on the TV. So uh, listen. How about, you know, it's not just 
the potential of a love triangle. This this could be a, a, a love square, Matt. You throw old Matt Murdock in in there. Um you've you've gotta have an Avengers esque dust up between our defenders as if they're all going to come together and, and get along. We know that's not going to happen. So pour that conflict on there, man. Word on the street where we hear from you, the listener and Pete, we get a check-in from Henry Perno. That's Henry Dared on Twitter who says in Luke Cage episode nine at 38 minutes and 40 seconds, you can hear the Seagate doctor say unpossible. Me fail English. That's impossible. Certainly a good catch there. Uh, I think on the one hand, we as an audience can know that, uh, know that, you know, mistakes get made, mistakes make their way through. But, um, Flip side is go, go go grab that actor and have him uh, have him loop it, Pete, to it, use the the jargon of the the industry. ADR that. That's right, ADR. Pete, can you explain for our listeners what ADR or for what ADR stands? Automated automatic dialogue replacement. Additional dialogue recording or replacement. Okay. You you get you get points for trying, Pete. You get partial credit. So. Thank you to Henry for checking in. And, uh, of course, thank you one and all for uh, for listening and being in touch. Pete, let's start with some contact info. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 8,538 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, where, where maybe – Starting around November 9th, the tweets will be slightly less political. Uh, but you can be in touch. If you just want to talk about Marvel stuff, that's cool. We have a place for that, Pete. That's Fantastic Geek. Fantastic with a PH. FantasticGeek.com. Fantastic Geek on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, and FantasticGeekGmail.com. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. And you click the little like, the thumbs up, and you become part of what the kids call, Matt, the fam. Well, Pete, I have a crazy idea. Here we are. We've done these 10 episodes of Luke Cage. What if we come back in a couple days, maybe on Monday? What if we do episode 11 and then the following Friday do episode 12? And then why don't we wrap this puppy up in about 10 days worth of episode 113 and then do like a wrap up after that? Sounds like a plan. Excellent. Well, then I will say adios to all our listeners until we meet again and give you, Pete, the final word. Mass production is where it's at. 